The sermon text this morning will be 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It was, it was Jesus who said that it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in these words, Jesus gives a very sharp warning to those of us who are rich. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm not that rich. I mean, I have trouble rubbing two nickels together and make ends meet. But, you know, riches and wealth are measured by a host of metrics in terms of annual salary, um, living conditions, opportunities that we have before us. And I would think that most would say that us in the United States of America, really Western culture, would be rich as compared to the world. Our country alone holds probably 27.4% of the world's wealth, and we have 4.4% of the world's population. So at a minimum, most of us would be considered, from a global point of view, to be rich. And so this warning comes to us, and we would be wise to heed it. In fact, we see the same warning given by Paul in the passage that was read. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul, of course, the seasoned apostle at this point. He's writing to Timothy, this young protege, who's leading a church. He's a pastor, and he is giving him instructions throughout this first and second letter to Timothy. These instructions involve everything from the importance of the gospel to defending the gospel to how the household of faith lives together. He speaks about how ministry is to be done. And here we come to the last chapter and the final few verses, and he instructs Timothy to give a word to the rich. Now, Timothy was the pastor of a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a a Roman town. It was on a trade route. It was very affluent. Many people in the church were wealthy. And Timothy is told by Paul, he says, charge them, speak to them, to the rich, and speak to them a a good word. This is not a condemning word. It's It's a good word. You notice there's no condemnation of wealth, per se. It's simply he gives us warnings. You see that in verse 17. He'll give us a warning for those who are rich, and then he gives us some instructions, some obligations that come along with the gift of wealth in verses 17 and 18, and then you see this encouragement, actually. He gives us a promise that should just excite us in verse 19. And that's what we'll look at the text very quickly. Um, First, though, the warnings you see when he says, I charge you, and he tells Timothy to charge them. What's interesting is the first warning he gives is charge those who are rich to not be haughty, to not be conceited. Now, I do want you to see that Paul is, the word charge, at least in Greek, kind of has the has the idea of command to it. He says he's commanding Timothy to command those in the church to not be haughty, to not be conceited. Now, when you see something like that, you know, to command, he he isn't telling Timothy to suggest to those in the church, but to command. Now, how does that make you feel? 
Do you kind of bristle at this idea that Tom is going to command us to do something? Do we kind of get our back up a little bit? In this day and age of consumerism and individualism and self-autonomy, it almost seems archaic. To me, it seems a little dangerous even that we're supposed to command someone. But, but it is what it is. Paul's saying, no, command them to not be conceited, to not be proud. You know, we all struggle with pride, but there's a unique temptation to the rich to think that I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm well off because of my hard work, my ingenuity, my diligence. And, and we tend to look down on people, maybe that have less than we do. You see it, I think, all the time in, in Hollywood, the famous movie star have all kinds of money that goes to their head. They begin waxing eloquent on all kinds of issues they know little about. Or, or the athlete that gets the huge contract and all of a sudden they think they're above the law. They can just do things that, that they couldn't before. My mom used to speak about these issues like the, the nouveau riche. You know, it's a French expression for the new rich. You know, the, the, those who come from old money or money that has passed down through generation, they have a better handle on it. It's not really our money. It's really just come down through us. And they probably see a litany of, of problems associated with having wealth. But the nouveau riche, those who are newly rich, goes to their head. There's a degree of arrogance and pride. I think Paul's warning us. He's telling me to tell you, don't be haughty. Let's not be conceited. Let's not be kind of looking down on people. That's the first warning. Look at the second warning. It, it follows in don't set your hope on these riches. He, he's saying don't, don't trust in them. Don't find an identity in what you have or even the gifts. Of course, I'm speaking about more than when I speak about wealth. I'm not talking about dollars and cents per se. I'm really talking about the whole of us, right? The opportunities, the education, the wisdom that we have, all these things. Don't set our identity on them. Don't, don't seek security in them. Why? Well, because they're uncertain. I mean, they rust, they wither. Uh, age comes along. You know, markets drop. Demand dies. Errors are made. I mean, we, we know in 29, the great crash of the, of the market, but even as recent as 2008, some lost up to a third of their retirements. Now, maybe they've gained them back, but the reality of it is, boom, poof, they're gone. The, the uncertainty of riches is profound. You go to bed wealthy, you wake up not so. It can be that fast. And you know what? If you think your riches are secure, our own lives are brief, right? Jesus tells the the man in Luke chapter 12, who's had year after year of good support, a good supply of crops and he says I'm going to build bigger and bigger and bigger barns I'm going to take life easy I'm going to take leisure and so Jesus makes a moral judgment on him he says you're a fool for this very night your life is required of you what a wake up that would be Solomon says that money as soon as you set your eye upon it it's like the eagle and it takes flight and goes into the heavens so quick can it be? So that's the warning to set our hope on riches or to grow puffed up and, and haughty over it. It's like going to build your house on a pile of sand. It's a, it's a risky endeavor. Now, I, I do want you to see that this is a warning Paul gives us. Warnings are given by those that we love. 
Right? We warn those that we love. And, and it, you know, the scripture speaks a lot about wealth in general terms, and it's usually associated with warnings. Why? Well, because it's dangerous. It can impact our relationship with God. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You're going to hate the one and love the other. Now, don't think you're the only one that can serve both. He said you can't serve both. And money tends to make these promises that you're going to have a good full life, but it cannot satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. It just can never do that. But it also impacts us because we we, we live these vacuous lives, these lives that are never, they're always moving, but they're never achieving. They're always gaining, but they're never satisfied. That's the warning he gives us. So examine your souls, even perhaps this afternoon. Ask yourselves, am I smug over who I am or the intelligence I have or the wealth that I have? Uh, consider how much time you invest in investing or how much time do you worry over things? Or perhaps you like to save things because there might be that day that you need it. But in the last 10 years, there's never been that day. But you're still holding on because there could be a day. You know, ask yourself those questions. And if you find smugness to be in your soul, repent. Ask God for forgiveness. If you find there to be an excessive worry or concern or even joy and excitement over the pile that you have or the gifts or the position you've attained, then repent of that. So that's a warning. Warnings come from those that we love. He loves us. I love you. I know you love me. Let's heed this warning that we have. But then Paul moves from 17 to 18, and he gives us these instructions. And, and I think you're going to be surprised by the instructions he gives us. Because notice what he says. He says, don't set your heart, don't set your trust in riches, but on God, on God. Now, again, he's not calling for asceticism. He's not saying, listen, you ought to divest yourself of everything because it's better to be poor and it's better just to be creeping along. He doesn't say that. He, he's not condemning wealth either. He's simply saying, don't be haughty, but rather he says, be grateful. Notice what he says, you know, set your hope on God who has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. He's telling for us to be happy to be thankful, to be grateful for all that we have. We can hope in God because he's given us all, all that you have. And it may be much in terms of wisdom or skill or experience or wealth. All those things. Be grateful over them because God has given them to you. In fact, I would say to you that it's probably, to the degree that you're grateful to God over these things, is probably a good measurement over how much you understand that it has come from him. If he gets little thought and little thanksgiving and little gratitude, then you're probably thinking it's come from my hand a little bit more than from his gracious hand. So the first thing we see is the instruction. He says, enjoy what you have, but enjoy that it's come from God. And give him the credit and give him the glory that he has given it to you. Do you think that you're grateful? I mean, maybe you can ask a good close friend or maybe a spouse, do you see me as a person of gratitude? Not just the general gratitude that the country has around November. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. To whom am I thankful? To whom are you thankful? Is your gratitude expressed to God? Ask, ask a good close friend or a spouse if that's present in your life. 
And now let's start to be thankful. Let's be grateful over the things we have. But there's more, there's more of instruction to be given than just to enjoy it. That could be selfish if it just stopped. But you see him go on in verse 18, not just to enjoy it, but to extend it. To extend it. Look at how he piles up those infinitives. That do good and <clears throat> be rich in good works and be generous and be ready to share. He piles these things on. You notice that he doesn't put any direct objects. He doesn't say to whom to do these things. I think he's leaving that up for us. Just do good. Be rich in good works. In other words, he's calling for us to, to be practical in helping others who have needs. I, I, again, I want you to think practically now, not just financially, think practically. Think of the wisdom that you may have, the position that you have, the skills that you have, the experience, the gifts, and the position that you have. How are we leveraging these things to aid people who have less than we or who are in, in need? And it's not just practical. I think there is a financial piece. Be generous, be ready to share. This idea of giving of our material wealth to those in need. I know whenever we usually hit topics like this, people are thinking, well, how, how much? You know, what, what, what's the number, you know, that we need to hit? And I think I used to ask that question because I wanted to know when I could turn the spigot off. You know what I mean? Okay, I did that, good. I'm good to go to keep the rest. So, so Jesus says, if you have two coats, give one away. That's 50%. Do you like that number? You're like, whoa, I don't want that number. <clears throat> I, can't, I can't work with that number. Let's back it up a little bit. Go abstract. Let's just be general right here, Tom. Let's not be so specific. I think being generous, I would say to you, is as much an attitude. It, it's an attitude uh, of understanding that everything we have has been richly provided for us. If you believe, if you truly believe that God has given to you the gifts that you have, the opportunities, the wisdom, the skill, being at the right place. Some of you have really been at the right place at the right time, and you've gotten to know a certain person who helped advance your career, or you thought about this new endeavor, or you, you pursued this track in your career, and it's really yielded good results. Praise God for that. But that's the deal. Praise God for that. Generosity is an attitude of recognizing God has given us these things, and so it frees us to be generous and to be ready to share whatever that may look like in your life. Paul kind of gives us this general attitude with what generosity is. He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. They are taking it away from a specific number. Not reluctantly or com under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So he's giving us a principle here and not a percentage. And, and the principle is to give what you are inclined to give, but recognizing that sowing sparingly will reap sparingly. And, and here's why he says this, because in the next verse he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, this is more, when he speaks about do good, be rich in good works, um, be generous and ready to share, he's talking about our lives. He's not just talking about our checkbooks. He's talking about our lives. Are we 
Are we rich in good works? When you look back after the past, over the past 30 days, uh, are, are there those works that you have engaged in toward helping other people? Again, he, he broadens it. He makes it very comprehensive about what that may look like. It may be very menial in our eyes, but may be significant to those that we've served. It may be something bigger. So he, here he gives us a warning, and he gives us these instructions to be rich in good works. As a church, you know, we're in this series on prayer and fasting. We're doing this all year. We had an extra week before Palm Sunday, which is in two weeks, and we thought we'd put in this idea of serving. This idea, you know, that's just another Christian discipline. Prayer is a Christian discipline. Fasting is a Christian discipline. So is serving. That our lives, you know, he who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, so we are to be like him in serving. He, here's the encouragement he gives us. The encouragement that he gives us is found in verse 19. And let me read it with you. It's a really beautiful verse. He says, storing up for yourselves treasures as a good foundation for the future, that is for the coming age, to be contrasted with the present age, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. But what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that in doing good works, in being rich in good works, uh, that isn't, you know, the eternal life or what is truly life, if you were to look later in your Bible, in chapter 6, verse 12, he says the same thing to Timothy. He says, take hold of that which is life, eternal life. So I think that's what he's referencing here. He's talking about life with God. In other words, the life with God is, is going to result from a life that does good works and that is doing good. In other words, we're not buying our salvation. It's not doing good and being rich in good works. It's some, going to somehow secure salvation or eternal life, like trying to get your kid in an Ivy League school. It isn't like that at all. It's not securing. It's the result so a life that is marked by doing good works and being rich in mercy has that to look forward to. That'll be the fruit that you enjoy. And, and what I think Paul's doing is he's using those two metaphors, you know, this idea of a, of a treasure and a good foundation, and he's trying to help us understand simply this, that responsible living now will yield a joyful, satisfied living later. In other words, that utilizing your gifts today brings gains tomorrow. This is a principle taught to us by Jesus. I mean, Jesus said, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. I think he's trying to show to us, and this is only makes sense to the Christian, to the heavenward thinker, they're saying, no, 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 I'd rather be rich there than here. So I'm going to use, I'm going to utilize all my resources here for those purposes, knowing that I have more. Now, this is not a prosperity doctrine. This isn't what you hear the prosperity teachers on television teaching. They tell you, give your material wealth now and you'll get more now. That's not what I'm saying. What comes back to us in this life that's truly life may not be material at all. In fact, I would say it's going to be satisfaction in God. It's going to be a full enjoyment of God, Almighty God. It may not return to you in this life, in those things. So I, I would, there's a lot more to say about this. Um, we want to give you some examples of what good works will be. Uh, in a moment, we're going to show a video of one way to be rich in good works. Nick is going to come up and, and share a little bit more about the opportunities, even through the life of this church, that we can be rich in good works. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you first just to 
Ask God for wisdom on these things. I know many of you are busy, and many of you actually are walking in good works, and praise God for that. I'm very satisfied. So, so ask God for wisdom. Acknowledge that God is the giver of all these things. I mean, seek him for the things that you need. And, and then secondly, I, I would ask you to believe what he said is true. I'm asking, I'm calling you to faith. Not a, not a faith, not a justifying faith, but, but, but a faith to believe that, yes, God has given to me these things. And so now we're free. We're free to take all of our lives and extend them to God, to seek, to be rich in good works. And then consider what is one small step that you can make to, to respond to this text, to be rich in good works, to do good. So, so the video will be shared, and then Nick will follow. Thank you.